0: In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 4.
1: Well, we're beginning a new book tonight, a new book for us, that is, uh, the book of Proverbs. And uh, it's a very, very different kind of study than most of the ones we've had. And uh, We'll try to take about four chapters today. It is part of what's called by librarians and such, the wisdom literature. In the Old Testament, that would include the book of Proverbs, of course, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Job, and the Psalms, at least a certain subset of them. And it's interesting that three out of the five were written by the same guy, a guy that goes by the name of Solomon. And one of the surprising dis- uh, discoveries for many of you is that that's not his real name. His name given by Nathan at birth was Jedidiah. Solomon was his royal name. And before the, our study of the book is over, we're going to find some other surprises about, uh, uh, from the pen of Solomon. But uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. There are several books in the New Testament that could be classified in the same category. We have in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles 1 and the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1 and James 3 are often classed by some the commentators as being of the same character as the so-called wisdom literature. But the book of Proverbs is a book on how to wise up and live. It's a how-to book. It's a how-to book on lifestyle. And it's a very unusual book the more you get into it. So many of us sort of plunge into the book or even sometimes pick it up randomly. And uh, it seems to be a catch bucket of all kinds of little one-liners. Or I should say really two-liners. And uh, uh, not much, there's no organization that's too apparent unless you study it carefully. It's interesting, there, there is in the scripture a number of allusions to animals that are clean, that chew the cud. And those allusions may sound strange to us, but to the Hebrew mind, that's an instruction on how to study. Many of these passages, and it wouldn't limit it to the book of Proverbs, but it exemplifies what I'm about to say, is you really won't get it by just reading the chapter. You've got to really digest it. Reread it, reread it, and digest it. And uh, that's going to be pr- uh, proved to be very true. But anyway, it's G- God's book on, on uh, t- to, um, how to live your life. And it's beyond just keeping laws. So many of us, especially as we get a biblical orientation, are you under the law or not and all that business, there's something that's far beyond that. And that's what the book of Proverbs is really focusing on. It focuses on leading an aggressive Dynamic lifestyle. How many are interested in doing that? It's about 40%. Well, I don't know. Maybe... No, I'm kidding. Okay. Proper and improper attitudes are dealt with. Attitudes are tough. But it's going to deal a lot with that. And, of course, conduct and other characteristics. They are referred to in very concise, succinct, penetrating ways. One of the reasons, probably, we need to realize that in ancient Israel, they didn't have copying machines, didn't have printing presses. Many people wouldn't have a personal copy of the Torah and so forth. So one of the ways you instructed your children was by instructing your children with memorable uh, reminders regarding uh, not just the do's and don'ts around the house, but life itself, and that's what we see collected here. The word proverb itself... In the Hebrew, is mashal. It's a proverb, a parable, a comparison, an aphorism um, on typically ethical wisdom and, and things of that nature. Short sentences from long experience is one, I thought, quotable definition. They're easy to remember. They condense a lot of wisdom in a small space. One of the things that we'll probably include in the workbook when we turn this into a course will be the challenge of uh, the students to take a parable and try to summarize it in just one paragraph. And you'll discover that's a tough job. Many of the parables are obvious as you understand what they're grasping, but trying to express that in other words takes more than just a few sentences or even a paragraph. It's a, it, it causes you to, rec- to appreciate the compression, the, 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 the digestion that has gone in here. The, wor- the, the synonym, I think, that in the Hebrew proverb comes the closest, is a comparison. Because a proverb parable are very pro- uh, broad terms. But the proverb, that we're, as we're going to encounter it, is a very specific style. But before we get into the biblical, uh, let's uh, try to understand what we mean by a proverb. When the well is dry, we know the worth of water. That was one of Ben Franklin's favorites. That says a lot in just one sentence. It captures a whole attitude towards certain kinds of circumstances. And uh, when you want a drink of milk, you don't buy the whole cow, is a homespun expression that many of you that are raised on a farm probably uh, may sound familiar. What the, the ancient Romans used to talk about, their politicians, they would say the cat would eat the fish, but she doesn't want to get her feet wet. <laughs> You know, people that would like to have the rewards but really don't want to make the effort or get the risk or the exposure. And uh, this is one of my favorite by Mark Twain. Always do right. This will gratify some and astonish the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Truman liked that so much that he had it framed and hung over his, uh, a, a desk in the uh, Oval office. But uh, So these are man's proverbs and some of them are very, very... Um, interesting. But they're quite different than the ones in the scripture. And I'll come to some differences in a minute. Authorship, of course, obviously this was written by Solomon. He wrote about 3,000 proverbs according to 1 Kings 4. He was the wisest person in his day according to the scripture. And uh, he reigned from about 971 to 931. So all of these we can ascribe to the 10th century. Chapters 25 through 29 in the book of Proverbs were written by Solomon, apparently, but were compiled by the men of Hezekiah. And since Hezekiah reigned from 729 to 686, bear in mind we're B.C., so the obviously decreasing numbers are less long ago, okay? <laughs> but you get the idea. So, uh, but the thing we want to recognize is who the real author is. One of the astonishing things, if you study the book of Proverbs you will find in it no technical faux pas. So many of us have misconceptions about scientific things, and especially in ancient times. And one of the fascinating studies about the Bible is that those notions that prevailed during the days of the ancient writers don't get into the text. It's astonishing that Moses Uh, who was raised in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, we're told. Uh, All the wisdom of the Egyptians, they had some pretty weird ideas about medicine. And they're very colorful. I won't derail the study going through that again, except to point out, remind you, that none of those things get into the Torah. In quite the contrary, an astonishing number of medical advances are uh, anticipated in this Torah. The more you know about particle physics, the more you know about Einstein's theory of relativity, the more you know about the anthropic principle that scientists talk about, the more comfortable Genesis chapter 1 and the rest of it reads. But the same thing here. But one of the things we want to recognize, the real author here is not Solomon. It was superintended by God himself. Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's an important verse to remember as we wade through some of the tough areas in the Old Testament. They're there by design for our learning. All scripture, the scripture says, is given by inspiration of God. That word in the Greek actually means God-breathed. So even though the styles, the form may reflect the people doing the penmanship, God is superintending every letter. We now know with computers and the structures that lie under the text, there's no way those properties could be simulated. And, and they, 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 you, you remove one letter out of the Torah, and those, many of those properties just fall apart. So it's a very, very provocative discovery. Um, the addressees here are typically sons. The words, my son, were written by Solomon 15 times in the first seven chapters and a couple of times elsewhere. They're used five times in the saying of the wise men elsewhere and once in one of the last chapters. My sons occurs four times, all by Solomon. So as we read this, let's recognize the context of the passage is the home. The father teaching the son. And uh, uh, the more you read the book, the more you'll respect the incredible background those sons got from their father. So Rehoboam, uh, you can visualize Rehoboam sitting at his feet and Solomon giving this counsel. The New Testament quotes extensively from the book of Proverbs. We don't need to go through these, but it's... It's just noteworthy to see how frequently the, the the impact that the Book of Proverbs has on the New, te- uh, New Testament literature. Now, what do we mean that most? The key word in the book is wisdom. And uh, what is the first thing that God created? I remember, James Dobson confronted this once at a meeting, and I was quite surprised with the answer because we all The answer is wisdom. We'll discover that when we get to chapter 8. That wisdom was there before. But also wisdom will be personalized here in several ways. But the traditional definition of wisdom is the ability to use knowledge in the right way. I think all of us know people that have an abundance of knowledge and no wisdom. And I think all of us could take out a pad and make a list of people we've encountered in our past that would seem to have A lot of knowledge, that is a lot of data, but an incapacity to draw relevance from that, and more importantly, to put it into practice. See, so we would say wisdom, thus, would be the ability to use knowledge in the right way. That's the traditional definition, but in the Scripture, it has quite a different complexion. See, there is a wisdom of this world, 1 Corinthians 2, Speaks of that. James 3 speaks of that. You can look those up on your own. Divine wisdom is from above, and Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. When we get to Proverbs chapter 8, we're going to see in the text, we'll see Jesus Christ uh, embody that text very specifically. But uh, we'll take a look here at. uh, 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 another passage here in a minute that'll highlight that in 1 Corinthians. But uh, the word for wisdom in the uh, Hebrew is kokmah. It occurs 40 times in Proverbs. And it would seem to mean being knowledgeable, experienced, and efficient in whosoever uh, areas of expertise is alluded to here. Being knowledgeable, but also experienced and efficient is Im- implied by the Hebrew term. Wisdom in the book of Proverbs includes a practical sagacity. Uh, practical sagacity, mental, human, and functional skill. Yes, but the real overriding emphasis is the moral aspect. The upright uh, living, which stems from the right relationship with God. And the key we're going to encounter in verse 7 of the first chapter, the key verse that will be repeated in chapter 9, that is the, the key, not just the book of Proverbs, but to the whole Bible. Where do you start? What, where, how, do you, how do you get wisdom? And uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Without the Lord, you won't have wisdom. We're going to talk about a lot of winners and losers here this evening. And if you want to avoid being a loser and be the one that is always the winner in, in, the, in the context of the book of Proverbs, the first thing you need to do is accept Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, you're at You're adrift. The fear of the Lord, the awe, the respect of God, is the beginning of wisdom. And that makes the Hebrew concept of wisdom, un- wisdom unique, and we could go through a lot of verses there, but I think it'll be pretty self-evident as we go forward. So to be wise in the biblical sense, one must begin with a proper relationship to God. And you will not get a lot out of this study unless you are unless you're, unless you're in Christ. And uh, he, he is, indeed, the beginning of wisdom for each of us. Now, wisdom is described as eternal in Proverbs 8. That wisdom is permanent, eternal. Wisdom is the creator of all things, Proverbs 8 hammers away. And so we begin to realize that it's also personified in the person of Jesus Christ, who was the creator of the earth. A creator who actually entered his creation to fulfill a mission for you and I. And wisdom is described as the beloved of God. So when you see these identities, all out of chapter 8 primarily, uh, you begin to get an equivalence between wisdom and the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, to yield yourself to him and obey him is true wisdom. John 1, Colossians 1, and you could concatenate a number of verses to support that premise. It's interesting how man's Proverbs are often, well, first of all, they're man's knowledge. Some of them are acute, some of them are descriptive, and I'm not here to disparage them, but I want, let's be sensitive to the fact that man's knowledge is self-contradictory, and we see it in our Proverbs. Look before you leap. How many of you have heard that proverb? Right? He who hesitates is lost. Whoops, wait a minute. Which is true? Well, it depends on the context, of course. Okay? A man gets no more than he pays for. The best things in life are free. <laughs> For everything else, there's master charge. Yeah, I know. Okay. Uh, leave well enough alone. Progress never stands still. Well, now, wait a minute. What, which is the, the, the prevailing one? Many hands make light work, right? Too many cooks spoil, <laughs> spoil the broth. See, we find common proverbs that are descriptive, but certainly not universal and certainly not what, in contrast to these, you're going to discover that the 3,000... We're not going to go through all 3,000 and all recorded in the book of Proverbs, but we're going to run, as we go through Solomon's Proverbs, they don't contradict. They don't contradict themselves. A rolling stone gathers no moss. A setting hen does not get fat. <laughs> well, <laughs> make up your mind. So guides for study. First thing that surprised me, and I, frankly was quite relieved to discover, they are organized. I sort of had this... Fear that we're going to spend uh, several weeks here going through a, just a scattered list of, of cute little two-liners. But as you go read the book of Proverbs, they seem helter-skelter. They seem to be sort of a, a bucket that they're picked out randomly somehow. No. See, that comes from a superficial view of them. And as you start getting into this, you will discover they're organized. In fact, Solomon tells you that. He doesn't tell you that in Proverbs. He tells you that in Ecclesiastes, that these things, these dark sayings are set in order. So there is an order, and our challenge is to try to understand that order. You won't understand the order. I'll give you a few hints to give you what to look for. But the way you'll understand it is to digest them, to reread them and reread them and digest them. And you'll begin to realize that there's a, there is a, a method underlying the thing. You'll also discover there are thumbnails of every character in the Bible. One of the interesting exercises you might do in your notepad as we go through and we start talking about some of these characters that are profiled here, who you think they might fit, both in the Bible and who you know personally. Um, You can keep that list very, very confidential. Something else I wanted to insert here that many people have noticed, and it's a useful observation. Proverbs happens to have 31 chapters, the way we have it organized in our English Bible. Each chapter has more than um, uh, 12 verses. Okay? So, what you can do is read a chapter every day. We got 31. Um, boy, my slip is showing. I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, uh, uh. First of all, there are 31 chapters, so what you can do is the date, whatever date it is, you read that chapter. And when you miss it, you don't worry about going back because if, if today is the 22nd of whatever, you read chapter 22. That will take you through the book of Proverbs once a month, obviously. And it'll give you a sampling of some advice for the day. Some you will relate to, and some <laughs> will require more study. The fact that there's more than... The, I happen to pop through my mind, uh, there's more than uh, 12 verses in each chapter is a useful thing in cryptography. There is a code called the Playfair Code, which is a uh, a manually operable uh, form of encryption that was used in World War II by the Germans because in every hotel room, they could find a uh, Gideon Bible. And by taking the date... And 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 uh, and uh, uh, they they would take the, yeah the date and the month twelve for the verse and the chapter they could get a series of letters that would drive the key for the encryption and what's handy about this it requires no tools you can with a scratch pad in a hotel room execute the the code and. Uh, I... I that just popped in my mind when I was talking about Proverbs. The fact that it's got 12 verses is not useful to you. It's useful if you're going to play encryption games. But let's go on. Okay. Duh. Let's re- reset, reset to zero here. Okay. Getting more useful here. The whole idea in Hebrew poetry, not just Proverbs, but also the Psalms and elsewhere, is the parallelism of ideas. You and I think of poetry... As having two qualities, among others, that rhymes and meter. Rhymes and meter constitute a major part, at least of the structure, of poetry, as we think of it. In Hebrew, the poetry is always the cross-linking of ideas or concepts. And uh, so there are three kinds, to keep this simple, there's actually more kinds, but let's keep it simple. There are three kinds of parallelism. That we'll encounter synonymous parallelism, antithetic parale- parallelism, and synthetic parallelism. Now, synonymous parallelism, it's, it, all these involve a couplet of two clauses, two lines. And synonymous parallelism, the second clause, simply restates what was given in the first clause. An example of that is in 19, uh, Proverbs 19:29. Judgments are prepared for scorners and stripes for the back of fools. So that, see, they, that those lines say a different way, uh, the same thing, two different ways. But they're synonymous. Judgments prepared for scorners, stripes for the back of fools. Now we've encountered two vocabulary things here we'll come to in a little bit. Scorners and fools, we'll come back. There are three losers we're going to discover. And scorners and fools are two of the three. But anyway, the issue here is parallelism. Do you understand the parallelism idea? Okay. There's just the opposite of that, an antithetic parallelism. That's a truth which is stated in the first clause, but made stronger in the second clause by a contrast with an opposite truth. It's sort of like saying it's two sides of a coin, if you will. And uh, so... The light of the righteous rejoiceth, but the lamp of the wicked shall be put out. And uh, that's an example of of a reversal, if you will. Then there is synthetic parallelism. This is a little tougher. The second clause simply develops the thought of the first. Example in Proverbs 20, verse 2, The terror of a king is as the roaring of a lion. He that provoketh him to anger sinneth against his own life. Okay? So uh, that's the uh, uh, that's it, it continues the thought, or it gives the result of the thought, or it describes something that relates. It's, it's, that's called a synth, you know, it's a synthesis. And so those are the three kinds of parallelisms. Well, let's jump in, take a look at the book itself. The first nine chapters will contrast wisdom. On the positive side, and folly on the other side. In fact, it will indulge in a rhetorical device of treating them both as women who are calling on us. Wisdom is calling us to do one thing, folly another, and uh, both terms are feminine gender in the grammar of the Greek, of the uh, excuse me, of the Hebrew, and uh, so they indulge in that as a rhetorical device. <coughs> Chapters 10 through, after that introduction, chapters 10 through 24 will be the Proverbs of Solomon that were written in set order by himself. From chapters 25 to 29, there are also Proverbs of Solomon, but these appear to be ones that were collected and set in order by the men of Hezekiah about three centuries later. He wrote about 3,000, far more than we have here. wrote about 1,000 songs too, by the way. But uh, 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 Solomon did the Proverbs. Um, uh, that he set down are chapters 10 through 24, Chapter the, the Proverbs of Solomon that the Hezekiah uh, team pulled together and uh, added as chapters 25 through 29. And then we have two chapters that we'll leave to the end. We, they are at the end, but they're also sort of the dessert. Uh, there are some real surprises in store. Uh, I think you'll find some aspects, especially of. Proverbs 30 that you will not find in most Christian commentaries. Commentaries, but if you unravel the Hebrew, which we will do carefully, you'll discover it's an astonishing messianic passage. But involve it, involve, it, it involves some uh, unraveling. So we'll we'll leave that when we get to uh, when we get to chapter 30. We will encounter all through the book of Proverbs three losers. I don't want else to call them. That's, just, that's what they are. Three classes of people who desperately need wisdom. And uh, the first is the scorner. The second will be the fool. We'll see what that guy's all about. And the final one is the simple. The scorner, the fool and the simple.
0: You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Proverbs. Download the K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the iTunes or Android app store or search K-House TV on your Roku streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry.